Let's go on Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. I'm reading from the NIV. And it's good to see you all today. If you don't have your Bible, we do have it on the screen. Um, The good news is if you have your Bible, that uh, you can do a sword drill because that screen will beat you every time. Almost guaranteed. So, uh, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Very familiar story that probably everyone in here knows. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw, everybody say that with me, when the Lord saw, when the Lord saw, did I not say? Sorry. The computer will definitely beat you when I give you the wrong scriptures. Sorry about that. (laughs) Yes. This is what eight years of higher education will give you. Anyway, Exodus 3. I'm not going to reread what I've already read. Um, But look at what it says in verse 4. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Start dropping down to verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has come, has reached me, excuse me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. I want to uh, talk to you for a little bit today. About go out and do something. Um, as you all know, unless you've been living in a cave uh, with no internet and no SD chips or anything else, um, unless that's you, you know that the Olympics just completed last week. Uh, I, have, I have gone through my week of mourning. I'm better now. I, uh, it's always hard for me when the Olympics end. I love the Olympics, I love the Olympic ideal. I love uh, the way that you see people performing on a level that is not normal. And you can see that in the NFL. You can see that in a lot of different places. But there's something about the Olympics that's it's just, to me, it's, it's romantic. It's like so many of these people, most of our gold medalists that, that won gold medals in the Olympics for the United States, you will never know their name. Some of you have never heard of the sports that they perform in. Um, I remember the first time, you know, that I saw 
these people in the Winter Olympics taking this big, long, weighted thing and, like, bowling on the ice with, like, brushes in front of it to get it to land on this little target. Um, I was like, is that really a sport? But it is, and you can win a gold medal doing it. And now that I live in the frozen tundra of uh, northern PA, I may take that up because I'd always wanted a gold medal. But um, that's beside the point. Uh, when I was watching the Olympics, I saw this really cool ad. How, how many, do you watch the Olympics and see the ads and like start crying? Or am I the only one here? I might be the only one. Jim, thank you, Jim, for raising your hand and, and being with me there. Uh, we're secure in our masculinity. The rest of you, well. Um, anyway, there was this one commercial, this Dick's Sporting Goods commercial. That really struck me. I, I, I was just really moved by it. It talks about how gold is in all of us. It says that there are trace amounts of gold in each human body, 0.2 milligrams to be exact. But the highest concentration of gold is found in the heart. It said that gold, and this is the quote, gold, it's in all of us. Only some have the strength to dig it out. Isn't that incredible? I remember when I was a kid, and you guys will hear about this, this person if you haven't already, um, for years now that you're stuck with me. Um, one of the main influences in my life was my Uncle Paul. Uh, he was an all-American miler at the University of Kentucky. Uh, he was my hero as a kid, and he was my first track coach. And um, he used to just beat the snot out of me, just to put it frankly. I remember puking my guts out after track workouts. I remember one time being so frustrated because I was in so much pain, I almost started crying. I was just, he would just wreck me in a good way. And that's why, Zach, I beat on you guys the way I do in the weight room. Because I know what it does. But the point is that Uncle Paul once told me this. He said, you know what, David? He said, the greatest athletes in the world are not the Olympians. I was like, uh, NFL? He said, no. I said, NBA? He said, no. I was like, who are the greatest athletes in the world? He said, usually the greatest athletes in the world are sitting on their porch, drinking beer, eating barbecue. And he said this, he said, he said, very, very few people, very few people have what it really takes to dig out what is already in them. See, what's amazing is that when a baby's born, inside of that baby, all that they will ever be, all the potential that they will ever have is already there in their DNA. Genetically, A child is already destined to have the abilities to become an Olympic champion or a professional uh, football player or professional basketball player or a scientist or a journalist or whatever. Inside of them lays the potential for anything that they could ever become. And what determines whether or not they ever tap it is whether or not they decide to go after something that may be just a little bit out of their reach 
right now. So many times, so many times, folks, we don't know what's really in us. In this room right now, sitting next to you, is a person that's full of potential, full of abilities and gifts. And and even if you know them really well, you don't know all that they bring. So many times we don't know what's in us. Sometimes you just need the opportunity to discover what your passion really is before you'll ever know what it is. It's like that with the last missionary we've been talking about. First, remember the missionaries we've been talking about? We've been, first week, we, we talked about William Carey, the father of modern missions, and we talked about how you can be exactly who you are to fulfill God's mission in your life. I appreciate Missionary Jenkins and talking about their digital ministry, that he is being exactly who he is. He, he may not be, you know, he may not have gone to seminary and have the, even the data that, that he's giving these missionaries these, uh, these missionaries to their own people to be able to come trained. He may never have had that education. I don't know. I've, I've not talked to him about this. But, but the thing that's awesome is he can use his gift to go out and, and to program something and to give it out so that other people can grow their gift and they can give it out. That was the message from William Carey. And then we talked about J. Hudson Taylor about how he totally revolutionized missions because missions used to be all dressed up and looking like proper Englishmen um, going in the middle of China and how he wrecked that, how he, he grew his hair out and grew the ponytail and put on classical Chinese garb and went out as a, as a Chinese to minister to Chinese, though he was white as, I mean, he was, he was from like Wales. The man was like so white he was clear. I mean, it wasn't about what he was. It's about what he allowed himself to become, which first and foremost was uncomfortable. And how God wants to stretch us, that we might step out of our comfort zone and step into some new things. But today, I'm really excited, because today we're going to talk about a missionary that comes out of, two missionaries actually, that come out of our church. I want to talk about Glenn and Jana Kaufman. Um, it was cool when I was investigating this, because obviously I can't read a book on Glenn and Jana. They haven't written it yet. So uh, I had to ask them, say, hey, tell me about yourself. And it was so cool, all the story that they gave me. And I wish I could share it all with you, but if I did, uh, we'd be here for a really long time and we'd never get done uh, and to the point that we need to. So um, it was really neat. I'll ask them permission if, if I can give it out if, if anyone wants any. Don't... don't um, don't assume that they're going to say yes because it was for me, but I'll find out. But it was cool to read their story and find out where they came from because the reality is that, that they're homegrown folks. They left out of these pews and went to the missionaries in Nicaragua. And they are the product of us. They are the best example of what we can become. Now, I'm not saying that you are all called to foreign missions and that you all need to, like, sell your businesses and go overseas. That's not it. But I want you to understand that we can follow God's leading in this church right here, right now, and become fully 
who God made us to be. But it takes us stepping out. Glenn and Jana were both raised in Christian homes. Uh, Glenn's dad was actually a Mennonite pastor. Um, they both had varying degrees of faithfulness through their teen and early 20-somethings. sounded like uh, Jana was much more faithful than Glenn was at the time. Glenn was a little bit of a wild child, sounded like. He let his hair down and kind of went a little, woo, out there. And, and yet, in the midst of all of it, in the midst of his darkness, with his first marriage disintegrating, his brother came and visited him and, and told him that he had just dedicated, rededicated his life to the Lord. And that he thought that Glenn should do the same thing. And so there at lunch... Over a bite of sandwich, Glenn rededicated his life to the Lord and began going to church down here at Lighthouse, down the street. Then uh, on the other side of town was Jana. And Jana had been in church and, and tried to be as faithful as she could, but her husband didn't want anything to do with God wasn't at all involved. When she would go and minister at the church, whether she taught Sunday school or Awana or whatever, it seemed like she always paid a penalty for being involved. But the thing is, she stayed involved. She stayed involved. Even as her marriage to this unbeliever disintegrated, she stayed faithful to God. And, and somehow through the course of time, these two end up coming together finding that God was putting them together and they took, you know, his kids and her kids and made them our kids. And they began to serve the Lord together and where, where they had been involved in other things all the way up through, whether it be Sunday school or Awana, they became the youth leaders together at Lighthouse of Faith here in Canton. After a while of serving there, they, they ended up planting, helping plant, I should say, uh, the church Mount Zion, right outside of town, going south toward uh, Williamsport. You all know where that is, right? They helped plant that church. And it said this, Jenna said this, in 1998, I felt for the first time a call to missions. She talks about how she joined um, a team from Canada that was going to go to India on a missions trip. And the funds were raised, this is what she says, the funds were raised, and about a month before the departure for the trip, it was canceled due to unrest in that country. So I gave all my funds to a young man so he could go to Africa. When I heard of the fruit that came from his trip, I thought God wanted me to help others to go, but not me. At the time, Jana was a hairstylist. She, uh, she owned the place that has the only tanning bed in Canton, just so you know. If any of you are looking for a tan this summer, Gabrielle and Mariah will be able to tell you where it is, because I, I couldn't even tell you the name. But they know. So talk to them after service if you need a tan. But anyway, she owned that place, and, um, and she had a client, and that client's name was Marty Detweiler. You could probably tell the rest of the story right from what I just said you know Marty at all. Uh, she's a little spark plug, loves the Lord. What Jana said to me was that um, she basically, Marty walked in one day and was getting her hair cut and said, you need to get your passport. 
And she said, well, why? She said, because you're going on a missions trip with my church. She said, okay. And that was it. She went and got her passport. Glenn got his passport. They went on the missions trip to Nicaragua out of this church. And God planted a seed that there began to grow, where they felt for the first time, they'd they'd done a lot of things for God and had really developed a love for God and a passion to serve, but, but they had never quite felt like, this is my thing, this is my purpose, this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life, until they went to Nicaragua for that trip. But there, inside them, the Spirit of God like explodes. So they signed up again for the next year. And they signed up again for the next year. And then in February of 2011, they went to Nicaragua. And when they came back, they were wrecked. They couldn't do it anymore. They couldn't continue to just work their job and then go on a short-term missions trip and work their job and go on a short-term missions trip. They, they, they knew that they belonged in Nicaragua full-time. And so they worked hard and they sold their businesses and they became full-time missionaries to Nicaragua in 2012. That was it. That's it. Today, today New Life, or excuse me, New Day Ministry does something different every day according to them. They're involved in hosting leadership training. They try to always be involved in, in really growing up like, like uh, Missionary Jenkins growing up new pastors and giving them new tools so that they can become greater at serving in the kingdom. They host missionary conferences and do discipleship training. They have Bible classes in schools, in public schools. They, they have permission. Get this, guys. If anyone wants to do it, if you want to become a missionary for a little while, right now they need 30 teachers to become missionaries to teach the Bible school class in the public school in Nicaragua. They've got that kind of open door, and since there's only two of them, they're only able to handle like four schools. But literally, they have a door open that's 36 schools. Um, They open up their facilities to train pastors, evangelists, and team members to spread the gospel with the people that they've developed relationship with. They, They do baseball church. And a, a bunch of other things. They actually do ministries as far as they build um, nutritional programs, introduce new fruits and vegetables to people to round out their, their, um, their diet so they can be healthier. They support families through uh, counseling, through grief counseling, through abuse counseling. Um, if, the, if the husband's an abuser, they take the wife and counsel her, and they counsel the husband and get him saved and understand that he's supposed to treat his wife as Christ treats the church to love her above himself. This is what New Day does. And it's always expanding. This is just the smallest sampling. I couldn't tell you all the things that they do for the sake of time. But this year, they're adding two new vocational classes to try to train these men to be able to make better livings for their families to get them out, or at least a lower, lesser degree of poverty. 
and they are doing more and more all the time. For so many of us, God wants to take us like he took Glenn and Jana, out of the pews here and into our ministry. And that might mean Nicaragua, or it could mean Cuba, or it could mean, you know, the Ukraine, or it could mean South Africa. Could mean any number of things, or it could just mean you in Canton or Troy or Shunk. It could mean you just simply serving where you are, becoming who you're supposed to be in the kingdom right here, because the reality is that in this room right now, God has kingdom players that He's placed exactly where you are right now, and He's got doors He wants to open. He has opportunities he wants to bring. But what it takes for us is it takes for us a desire to seek it out. We've got to be just a little curious. What I love about the story of Moses, what I read to you earlier, is that if you read... You know, Moses sees this bush burning. It's on fire. Flames, I I imagine, you know, God doesn't do things generally, you know. If God shows up somewhere, it's usually pretty cool. You know, there's like a cloud by day and a fire by night. I mean, it's like, wow. I've had friends who've been in in rooms that um, the Shekinah glory shows up. And if anyone doesn't know what this kind of glory is, it's a blue, purpley haze of the presence of God that literally fills the place. And God shows up there, and, and he, he begins at this point in the story. He's, he's there in, in the bush, and it's burning. And Moses says this interesting thing. All he says is, I'm going to go check that out. That's a little crazy. Like that bush is on fire, but it's not burning. That bush, it's on fire, but it's, it's not being consumed. And it's his curiosity. If you read it, it's really cool. It says, look at this, verse 4, it says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him. It was his interest in seeing what was happening. That God says, I could use him. You ever wonder? You ever wonder? I have. Maybe you never read it this closely. When I read it this closely the first time, when I first noticed this, I was like, dude, what if he didn't go over? Like, Moses' whole action of God in his life is predicated on The doorway in is his curiosity of why isn't this bush burning up? And sometimes, God, you may have something in your heart, guys. You may have something that God has planted in you in in the the spiritual DNA that he gave you when you got saved. And, And inside your soul, you don't even know what that is yet. You don't even know what you've really got inside you yet. But if you will just allow for your curiosity to pull you out of your normal little life, 
Because Moses was out there being a shepherd. He was just doing his job. And he thought it was already over. He's already left Egypt, the place of power. He was a man of influence. He's one of Pharaoh's, you know, grandsons. And he's a prince of Egypt. If anyone's going to be able to move something for the Israelites and get them into a better place, it was him. He knew as a young man that that's what he was called to do. But he gave up on that dream when he left Egypt. But God rekindled it when he lit that little bush on fire. Some of y'all in this room may have no idea what what God has for you. Or maybe for others in this room, you do. And you gave up on it a long time ago when you put yourself in a place that God could no longer use you. See, but God doesn't care what you're called. He cares that you're called. Did you hear that? He doesn't care what you're called. Shepherd, garbage man, engineer, pastor, missionary, banker, lawyer, business owner, whatever. He doesn't care if you're called unemployed. He doesn't care if you're called addict. He doesn't care if you're called drug dealer. He doesn't care if you're called whatever. Fill in the blank. I don't care. What he calls you is different than what they call you. He doesn't care what you're called. He cares that you're called. And if you will just simply step out and find out what God really has for you, he will use you. We have chosen. We choose. We choose to step out and get God's attention. Today, so many of us want a burning bush experience. Oh God, show up in power here. Show up, knock me off my donkey. Give me a Pauline experience. Give me a Moses experience. Let me, let this microphone burst in flames right now. See, but God only came after he went. Folks, right now, I'm going to ask you, what is really your potential? What what does God really have in you? Who are you really? What does your spiritual DNA call you to be? Moses saw the burning bush, and it pulled out of him a world-changing ministry. Glenn and Jana sitting in this pew, sitting in the churches of Canton for years, just served in little ways as youth leaders and as Sunday school teachers in other areas. And, and they just, by doing that, got a curiosity about going to Nicaragua. And God called them after they went and saw. My question to you today My question to you today is what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Because God has for you.
an opportunity. We're going to go into the ministry fair in just a little bit. I encourage you all to go. There's going to be lots of good food. I know what we made. We made some really good Italian sausage with like peppers and onions and tomato sauce. It's going to be, I know what I'm eating. And I know it's going to be good. Uh, I encourage you to go and to come and, and, and take that. But, but this is the thing. The ministry fair is not just to eat. It's for you to sign up for a ministry. Maybe there's an area that God wants to use you. Maybe there's something that you've always just kind of maybe thought that you should try something. Sign up for it today. Tell the Lord, yes, Lord, I'm going to go over. I'm going to just try this out. I'm just going to let my curiosity get a hold of me. I'm going to see what you're going to do. My question is, what are you going to do?